have titles that jump out and grab you, so much so that you want to buy the book just for the title. So here are two of them. Knitting with dog hair. Better a sweater from a dog you know and love than from a sheep you'll never meet. That's Kendall Crolius. And then there's Toilet Paper Origami by Linda Wright. Because I guess, you know, you should be able to experience art wherever you are. (laughs) I confess that I have succumbed to the temptation of buying a book just for its title. And the book that's on my bookcase that I bought just for the title is this one. When Bad Christians Happen to Good People by Dave Burchett. Now, I'm not recommending that you go out and read the book because, frankly, I'm not so sure that I agree with the author about how exactly some Christians hurt the people with whom they come into contact. But we do agree on this. Sometimes the most well-meaning people of faith cause pain to those around them and to those who walk through the doors of the church. And I believe that one of the ways this happens is by taking snippets of scripture out of context and using them like a sharp weapon. And it's done at times with the gospel passage that we heard today. Now, it's not surprising that this passage from the Gospel of Matthew would cause friction. After all, we're talking about anger and murder and adultery and divorce and oaths. And none of these are simple, clear-cut issues. More often than not, they and the relationships in which they take place are complicated and messy affairs. And to take these verses at face value, that's downright irresponsible. Who would ever say that murder and anger are on the same level when it comes to offenses, right? One is irreparable, unable to be undone. And the other is something that Jesus himself exhibited when he drove the money changers out of the temple. Now truly, we don't believe that an extramarital affair and a lustful glance are exactly the same thing either. We tend to believe that actions that hurt another person are more egregious than sins that silently infect our own hearts. Right? And who believes Jesus is speaking literally when he suggests that we should tear out our eyes or chop off our limbs if they have a role in our sins? If that were the case, very few of us would be sitting here with any eyes or any limbs left. And who among us doesn't sign contracts or make promises as to the truth of the things that we say or testify to the accuracy of our statements when we sign a credit application? Right? We all do it. And then there's the whole issue of divorce. Half of all marriages today end in divorce. Now, I want to say a few words about marriage in the time of Moses and in Jesus' own day. We're not talking here about a mutual agreement, about a couple who decides to each go their own way. This was, in many ways, a man's world. The book of Deuteronomy speaks of a man giving a woman a certificate of divorce when he finds something that's, quote, objectionable about her. That a man had to, according to Jewish law, even give a woman a certificate of divorce at all, that may have been a progressive step in the culture of that day. 
It at least meant that the woman could marry again. But what isn't clear in Deuteronomy is what exactly is meant by something objectionable. Would that be infidelity or merely burnt toast? And there was a lot of debate about exactly what that meant in Jesus' day. So when Jesus speaks here of divorce as being justifiable only in the cases of infidelity, he's actually saying that a man can't just cast a woman aside because of something insignificant. It actually gives a woman a measure of protection and care that might not have been the standard for that day. As we see over and over again in Jesus' ministry, this injunction against divorce, except on the grounds of adultery, it's really an expression of concern and care for the most vulnerable members of society. Now, divorce may be different in today's culture, but what remains the same is that it is usually a complicated, painful event. And I even believe that in some circumstances, it is the way to be most faithful to a relationship, to let it end. Unfortunately, I suspect that many people who've experienced divorce, and maybe some of those sitting in this very room, have found themselves confronted with these verses from Matthew, usually at the hands of well-meaning Christians. But to take these verses out of context and to quote them to people who are experiencing pain and the loss of a relationship, I believe that's to miss Jesus' point completely. Because what we see in today's passage from the Sermon on the Mount is that every single one of us participates in broken relationships. Not just those of us who commit adultery, not just those of us who commit murder, but all of us. Anyone who has ever been separated from another person by anger. Anyone who has ever been unfaithful to a relationship by placing other things over that relationship. Be that other thing work or money or fame or another person. Anyone who has participated in any kind of deception. All of us know the pain of broken relationships. So let's be honest. If only those among us who were completely at peace with everyone in the world, those among us who were reconciled to the whole world, if only those people could come to the altar rail and take communion, well, the altar guild would never have to order another box of communion wafers. If that's the case, then what is Jesus doing in this passage? Well, he's doing what he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's doing what we've talked about the past couple of weeks. Jesus is holding up the brokenness of our world and showing us that a different world is possible. A world in which barriers that divide one another are broken down. A world in which we treat one another with dignity and respect. A world in which our outward actions of kindness are at one with the attitude of our heart. A world in which a life of truth and integrity makes oaths unnecessary. A world in which the deepest intention of the Jewish law becomes a reality. This different world is nothing less, of course, than the kingdom of heaven. We see it in Jesus' life. And it is a world that is possible for us through the grace of God. So in response for our, to our gospel reading for today... 
I invite you to reflect on the broken relationships in your own life. Where in your life do you find evidence of that kind of brokenness? What underlies it? And then don't turn around and leave the altar, but come to it, offering yourself up to God, brokenness and all. Because it's here at the altar that the grace of God meets us. It's here at the altar that we see what true reconciliation looks like. It's here that we experience healing and wholeness of our heart. It's here that we find the strength to work for reconciliation and peace. And it's here that we begin to choose life.